Vigo's having to operate even more attackingly now. He really hits that one. Oh, that is just sensational from Luis Vigo. Alright, cool. Let's just kick off, man. So, episode eight. Um, welcome to Mr. John, uh, based out in Australia, taking some time out of his day. He's just joined us, um, flying back to the motherland, which is the UK, if I can even call it that, next week. Uh, thanks, John. Welcome. How are you? All good? I'm good, bro. Just woke up. It's like 6 30 here. I admire the dedication football to football, my man. Um, I love it. Love and. This game. <laughs> and uh, hurt by football, Carlisle Baker Jackson. CJ, what's going on? Yeah, that's me. That's me. Loud and proud. Um, okay, cool. I mean, like we like we mentioned, I don't think it's going to be a, a in depth um, interview style discussion, but it'll be good to get your viewpoint. So, within the last twenty four hours, a lot has happened in um, the world of football. That is is. Um, I guess we can kick off with the biggest news around Liverpool being potentially up for sale. So a bit more context to this. I've been kind of reading a lot of the communication that's come out. So I saw the press release. I saw uh, FSG, which are the owners, their website. There isn't anything on there, but David Ornstein has kind of shared some a screenshot of like some of the comms he got. And essentially it seems to me that they're not actually selling the club. They're looking for investors for the holding company. Um, by that, I mean, looking back at their history, within COVID, what happened was because of the lack of money within Liverpool, they sold, FSG sold a stake to Red Billings or something like another um, investment group, 11%, sorry, Red Bird Capital Partners. Uh so I, was from that my understanding, LeBron? LeBron somehow is now a minor minority shareholder in FSG. So he he kind of invested through there, if that makes sense. Okay. But they sold eleven percent stake in the company yeah. uh, to Redbird Capital Partners last year to plug in the money gap, and subsequently bought a controlling stake in NHL an NHL hockey team, sorry, called the Pittsburgh Penguins. So, yeah, uh, from the communications and stuff, my opinion is that they're going to sell another stake to raise some more finance. But I'm assuming you are reading it the other way, Carlisle. Um, I mean, again, this is all very much what I'm trying to... I, I feel that they're just going to say we're open to investment, right? To keep, Whereas... to keep the com- communication kind of like neutral. Yeah, I and I was reading the report and someone reckons the club could probably be worth up to four billion. That would potentially because Chelsea got sold for what, like almost the same? Two point five. Oh wow. In pounds, two point five. Um and the yeah, some someone um has quoted saying they reckon it could probably be in excess of four point three six. Interesting. Because the club made over hundred and forty million from its sponsorship deals this season alone. 
My question is, what actually so, happens now? For example, they sell the, they sell the whole club. What what are you expecting to have? Because remember, the pound is even down, so it's actually more inviting. Yeah, because so, so, obviously, yeah, they're American companies, so maybe they're just trying to start phrase make hay while the sun shines and cash in. Yeah, um, there is rumors. Obviously, oh, I'm mm-hmm. reading the the Twitter threads and stuff, but there are rumors of a couple of. Uh, nation states I don't need to name the names but you know what I mean oil money so what happens if something like that comes through I mean I'm happy if John is available to get his view on one of your freest rivals getting sold to like a oil state oil back state what do you what do you think John how would you feel about that happening to Liverpool for me it doesn't really matter like Ultimately, that's kind of way the Premier League is going, like Newcastle, Chelsea. So is it just going to be full of oil money and it's just about who's got the most oil in the Premier League? I think um, from my perspective, if I was a Liverpool fan, I'd be a little bit worried because you just don't know which way it's going to turn into. And you felt like with this holding company, they actually understand sport so given their roots right like in boston red sox yeah exactly and you know they've got many successful teams doing doing their thing so like i guess there's synergies across all sports that could cover across so you know even about putting the right man in charge once say cloth is done that would um i feel that would have been easier with this group so i if i was a liverpool fan i'd be worried because it feels like the thing that they were building, potentially a dynasty at the top, could be affected because it could just be like some random man that just wants to, you know, show he's got the biggest stick in terms of having money owning your club. There's there's one Which man that comes to well. mind, the Chelsea guy doing the same thing. Yeah, um, when he sat, uh, was it too short after yeah. so quickly, just because of personality rather than really performances yet. So I think it's an interesting time. It's it's on, like it could be like the best thing that ever happens to Liverpool, like they go clear of like Man City, but it also could set them back a couple of years. So I think it's about just waiting and seeing. Good, very good points there. Kala, I saw you were trying to like uh, jump in there. Is that, what was your feedback on that? Oh, I mean, I just I have a phrase for the Premier League at the moment. Just billionaire dick waving. That's what this what that's what this all is. It's a very on brand point, I think, just given the fact of the amount of owners that are foreign, uh, i.e. more American more than anything else, if I'm not mistaken. Uh, yeah, and I feel with American culture, as it is more extroverted, it's it's all bragging rights, right? Oh, I've got a football club, the same way it's oh I've got a hockey club or I've got a basketball club team or an American football team. It's just clout. It's clout chasing, but you know, I I chase clout by wearing branded clothes. They these owners do it with by having sports clubs. Yeah, and yeah, it's yeah. time for them to you know turn around and be like, oh look at me, this is what I've got, this is what I've done. Um, so yeah, I don't think it's particularly healthy because it's just a project for them. I don't think there's much passion in it. But yeah, that's I, I don't think I'm going to change my feelings on that anymore. And obviously, sports washing is sports washing. So yeah, I guess we'll have to see how it kind of how it 
plays out, whatever. Um, sorry, John, you were saying. Yeah, sorry, come in, John. No, I'm just agreeing with you on that one, bro. It's just a different level of flexing. The question I have now is like, for example, um, with the way they've been structured, I think John raised a good point in terms of re- like creating a dynasty and what they're trying to do. I think some some people I'm reading online are quite happy because obviously you have your standard FSG outers, et cetera, et cetera. But you can't ignore what they've done. Like they've won the Premier League after I don't know how long. They've won the Champions League with these guys. They've been to multiple finals of the Champions League. Um, yeah, first championship in 30 years. Won the, they basically won everything they could have won. And then on top of that, um, the the ownership has kind of invested, I think, $110 million into the new main stand at Anfield. Uh, there's another road stand called the Anfield Road Stand, which is also being redeveloped. Uh, and that's like an £80 million project. And that's transforming and boosting the capacity of Anfield to around 61,000 uh, fans. So, and... Apart from all of that, they're also um, re- like revamped the training facility for another fifty million. So, yeah, in all in all, that's a very successful period. But my question, long way, short way, is that what happens to the dynasty? Do you now get into a position? Uh, I guess to you, Carl, the way they're in a territory where Chelsea's kind of, you know, Bowley firing Tuchel might even happen to Klopp, even though Klopp arguably is one of the best coaches in the world right now. I think, again, this is all just off the top of my head, but maybe they've run out of steam in terms of not necessarily money, because I, I honestly think they've been one of the better owners of a football club in the Premier League. They've been there for so long. It's never really been tumultuous. You know, it's not been a revolving door of managers, for instance. When Klopp came to Liverpool, they backed him. When things weren't great initially, they backed him. They still backed him. They still are backing him. So I don't even necessarily think it's a... We just don't like who he is or his position is in danger. I just don't know whether it's... Because to be fair, again, this is weird, right? Because we're not talking about billionaires, so these are very large kind of scales of dimension, but we're talking about billionaires struggling to compete with states very rich from having natural resources, because as much as I don't like Liverpool on the whole as a football club, and that's kind of beside the point, but they've done very well to run city so close for as long as they have with the resources. Again, this is, um, economies of scale compared to a literal country. Yeah, that's a good point. So I guess another thing from that, what you've just pointed out, which is really good, my my thought has just come in. I don't know, John, if you want to jump in as well on this, but I guess it's a both of you question. Do you feel, just given the fact that the timing of it is a bit off because the results haven't been going their way and you know the director of football who left recently I think he was a technical director, if I'm not mistaken, Mark Edwards, you know, um, hailed for transforming the recruitment culture and the players that they brought in and kind of did this challenge, which you said, Kalal, towards City and who they brought in. But I don't know, it feels kind of weirdly timed that this news has come out, given the fact the 
uh, you know, Klopp has come out a, a multiple times during summer to say about backing. And, you know, there were hints and digs about, you know, I need these players. Performances hasn't been going well. And now all of a sudden this has come on. So, yeah, I guess it's to John, if if you can also jump in. What do you, do you think is kind of just a coincidence or they, have they re-evaluated and seen that this is kind of on the decline now and we kind of have to leave, I guess? It's it's a weird way to do it, right? Because they won the league not too long ago, and apart from the fact that they're just having a bad season, because they're in, I'd say, a false transition in that the team needed to be rebuilt probably a season or two ago wasn't, and so they've just fallen off quite a large cliff. It doesn't really seem to make sense unless they just don't want to put that money into the rebuilding the team again. Kind of harsh, but, but they've yeah, already. I don't know. It is a weird time, like you said. Just before World Cup, it's a bit. Yeah, it's a bit left. John, you're gonna try again. Yeah. Um, Here we go. I don't know if it could just be purely a business decision. Maybe they're looking at their their cash position and they're just like, you know what, we've made a decent return on this. Let's just take money off the table. I think it could just be more of a wider like macroeconomic thing for them and they're just seen as a pure business maybe they've made I don't know what return they've made or what return they're thinking of making on Liverpool but maybe they just feel like they're not in it for a long time so they're just like yeah let's just cash out now and they've kind of recognised the fall right that's what I feel yeah exactly that like they're like fucking hell we're going to have to plug in more money because we're going to have to get a new manager maybe soon ish maybe in two years or two seasons and then also they're probably looking at like their midfield and like how much more money they need to invest like and like Bob I don't think like things like Twitter sways people but like with Liverpool fans are just moving mad salty like like they haven't had any money invested in the club because of um that's because they can see down the decline and they're complaining about how much has been spent and if I was um the owners I'd be like fuck that Similar to like many United fans with the Glazers, which. But yeah, at least, at least you, as a United fan, you can say that we've not won much. So that's even though we're pouring money in, you attribute that to success. Whereas these guys, you know, they are spending, they're winning, they're kind of challenging for the top honors every year. So, I don't know. It's very strange timing. It's a bit weird. Now I'm going on a bit of a tangent, but they just move a bit weird. They act like they're the underdogs. But I'm like, dudes, you spent like. You have like one of the most expensive goalkeepers in the world. If not, yeah, top three easily because Kepa is the record, isn't it's it? Second. Yeah, that's a bit of a tangent of just throwing some hate on Liverpool. <laughs> it's fair enough, man. I totally understand it. But yeah, it's a it's an interesting time, but I'm happy to kind of wrap that up and kind of jump onto our next next topic. And um I guess this is Back to you, Carlisle. We we've uh, experienced quite a lot in the last twenty four hours, and one of those is the merry go round of managers, which uh, has continued with Southampton, and that adds to the list of Aston Villa, Wolves, Brighton, Chelsea, Bournemouth, uh, and now Southampton, who have a new manager. And who would have predicted it that it was all happening very close towards the World Cup break? So. We haven't really talked about them on the show, to be honest, and not many of us have a lot of expertise on it. But yeah, keen to get your thoughts on how 
uh, Southampton, what they do uh, and how that ties into your apology to Brendan Rodgers. Yes, I brought that up. So, um, wow, that was a very pregnant pause. Um, I think, to be honest, Southampton's a difficult gig, right? Because the owners don't invest large amounts of money and it is quite heavy reliant on the young players coming through. Because if you look at the, I think Southampton actually, yeah, Southampton had the youngest squad um, squad this season. It was Arsenal the season before. This year it's been Southampton. And you're asking a man to pull many rabbits out of one hat by having such a young core of players, especially with Southampton often being involved in a relegation battle or in the scraps thereabouts. It's a thankless task. I think he's a good manager. Could do a lot better if he had better players available to him. I mean, what, Maitland-Niles and Walker are there? Like, yeah. Um, so I think it's quite harsh on him. I don't know who'd want to pick that job up. It seems like a very poison chalice, unless that's the only way that maybe they can be convinced to spend more. Again, this seems like a... Let's do this before the World Cup. Hopefully not too many of our players are international players. We can get the teams, the team together. If we get a manager in time, then, you know, we can work on tactics and stuff. But I, I feel sorry for him. I mean, obviously this man earned a lot of money, but I feel sorry for him. So the, the thing I have is like you pointed out two good points that they recruited really young, right? So in my view the whole project was getting young players in, believing in this manager who has experience, giving him some time to build up some sort of a core foundation and then push on from there, right? And that, to me, with the new owner that came in January, the Serbian billionaire, that felt a bit more, well, dare I say, Liverpool, uh, without the pressure. And... So now they've they've kind of let this guy go. They've had a few new young players come in who have been convinced by Ralph Hasselhutl to join the club. And they kind of trusted him with like, um, I guess, uh, mentoring them and kind of making their career a bit better. Then you think about their forwards, like, uh, what's his name? Armstrong and... Uh, che Adams. The Scottish guy, Che Adams. Like, I don't think you can rely on them to you know, get you goals for the whole season. Don't get me wrong, on their day, very good players. And then his most experienced player, Romeo, who's the midfielder they got from Chelsea ages ago, uh, left in on deadline day. So, you know, I'm a bit sympathetic, but behind the scenes, there's a lot of stuff apparently that's been going on that he was in charge of. Uh, and now they're going for um, Luton manager, apparently called, uh, what's his name, Nathan Jones. And uh, he's done really good stuff, obviously, in other leagues, uh, most notably in the lower leagues of, of the UK, of Britain, uh, so championship, etc. And he has no Premier League experience. And now they're targeting someone who potentially is going to have to keep them in the Premier League. Um He's cheap. Yeah. That's why. That's a good point. He's cheap. But also maybe, just, just literally why. maybe he has something that we don't know about around nurturing young talent. Who knows? I mean, I'm, I'm sure he's a good manager and I don't mean that to be disrespectful by saying he's cheap. But in terms of trying to... You're at that stage, right, where you've just sacked a manager 
people know you're desperate because you're 18th. Um, you're, you're one point out of not being in the drop zone because Bournemouth's goal difference is minus 17, and that's entirely deserved. It should be higher. But I digress. Um, but, yeah, I, I don't see how you're convincing people to come to you, to be honest. So, yeah, I think that's the main reason why they're going for him. Again, that's a big ask. your first job, your team's in the mud. And to be fair, Southampton were one or two wins away from literally being 11th. So for me, it's a bit of a reaction. I guess it's the whole, it's Premier League money, right? No one wants to drop down. So do whatever you can to stem the stem the bleed, stop it, whatever. I think it's harsh. And I'd also like to publicly apologise for my dissing of Brendan Rodgers a couple of weeks ago because clearly he heard me, a fan of the pod, and decided to get Leicester playing again <laughs> because since I've cussed him out, they played so well against City. I was just like, oh, okay, cool. Changes on the cards. And then, yeah, they're now 14th. The box, I mean, the box, they're still... The box-to-box box curse hits again. Um, yeah, I mean, they're, they're still... I mean, to be fair, the entire lower half of the table. So Brentford are 11th of 16 points. And bottom is 10th. And that's not in Forest with 10 points. So really, that's nine places two win difference so it's still pretty close but I think actually Leicester might have started turning this around they seem to have settled regardless of results and are starting to go their way Madison's obviously playing very well oh also disgraceful he's only had one England cap I didn't realise this until the other day literally one so I think when we do a pod about World Cup races um, he needs to be there Mason Mount absolutely not and yeah, we just kind of go from there. But I, I mean, I'm sad to see Hasselhoff go. I thought he was a very good manager. He did very well with youth. Let's see if there's a new manager about similar to Villa when they decided to just go around and smack people up for fun because they're now 13th. Um, oh, John took that time to leave. Oh, oh let's go, man, you fan. Our our boy is back from Australia. John, so I think this is just a, a, a round-up question for you um, with your disappearing act. But with regards to Southampton, you know, now letting go of their manager, um, like all the teams around in that area have also replaced their manager. So, you know, Aston Villa, Wolves, Brighton kind of forced into it. And then you have Bournemouth who are kind of in a, in a flux. So I guess a question to you, John, is that what are now the expectations for Southampton and have they changed from the beginning of the season? They just need to get wins on the board. I think it's, I think for me, it seems like they just got, the owners have just got prank and just been like, oh man, like, you know, Leicester are doing better. You could argue Bournemouth are doing a little bit better. Um, so it's just like, oh fuck, we need to change something or we're going down and it's like a money business. So, yeah, there's no no room for failure. So I think they just said they need to switch it up. But then I've been looking at their results and they're only losing by, like... So apart from losing to Newcastle 4-1, but Newcastle are in mad form and they lost 4-0 to City, which, like, Man United lost, like, what, 6-3 to. Yeah. They're only losing games by, like, one goal. So it seems like it's really fine margins. Obviously, I'm not watching how they're playing, 
So maybe they're losing 1-0 but getting absolutely dominated. But um, it seems like a bit of a... It's, it seems like they've been in the game, reaction. right? Like like you said, the results. They've been there and thereabouts. So um, lost to Crystal Palace 1-0, drew with Arsenal at home 1-1, uh, beat Bournemouth away 1-0, uh, drew with West Ham 1-1. Uh, lost to Everton 2-1. So it's exactly as you said. But So at the beginning of the season, I was touting them for a mid-table finish or like mm-hmm. just, just above the relegation zone. But do you see them now in a relegation fight? Yeah, of course. Like I think for me, it's a survive at all costs now. You have no idea how good this new manager is. How, because if you say like a, a new manager needs like five games to adjust, and you're basically saying you've got half a season to get those results on the table. So for me, it's like survive at all costs for Southampton. And you use that kind of World Cup break to, I guess, bed players in and hopefully recruit some of the managers. You know, key wanting positions in January after the World Cup. Yeah. Yeah, I think you have to give him... Well, the thing is that he doesn't really have enough time to assess his team. Because I think, I guess with Southampton, maybe they're lucky that because their players are young, that they're maybe not going to the World Cup. I think we probably should look into that, like what percentage of players are going to the World Cup from each team. Because I think we might be a myth that, you know, some dead team like Bournemouth that have international players, they might have loads, but just play for like weaker teams. The one that's interesting to me is Nottingham Forest and uh, Wolves, because Wolves are basically a mini Portugal at the moment. So I mm. I would expect quite a few of their players to go to the World Cup and how that affects each team will be quite interesting. Um, yeah, for sure. Well, yeah, it's, it's quite... It's, uh, Carlisle, what's your view on like now Wolves and like for example Southampton? What are your expectations? Uh, dog fight for tooth and nail, like John has said, or um, if they bring the right person in, is there a chance they can even do something better? Aside from the manager bounce, really, I this, this, it's weird because it's kind of reminds me of back of the day, right? We only used to get the West Broms and the Portsmouths and the Wiggins. Like you just knew, and the Norwiches, that you just knew every year they'd be in a scrap. And I feel Wolves have been, I think they're often flattered to deceive, and this might sound really harsh, but they have placed quite highly because they start really strong, right? And then they normally kind of fade as the season gets goes on. So what you're seeing here now is what happens when they don't have that strong start. Because Wolves normally, first half of the season, are always very good. They've been atrocious. So it's across. I think it's across the board, in my opinion. Like even other teams are struggling to like start well. Like you look at Liverpool as well. They only. Yeah, and I mean West Ham as well. West Ham normally, yeah, they're not in the mud, but they're normally doing better than they're doing now. Like what? Fulham's ninth. Newcastle are third. Brighton are sixth. So obviously they're clearly not worried about Potter. You know, going. Actually, yeah, yeah they're yeah. above Chelsea. Wow. Crystal Palace attempt, Fiera is doing a great job there. Brentford, not that surprised at the 11th because Brentford, I mean, this is their second season, right? Yeah. Yeah, but they behave in terms of play, playing style, 
and how they go about match preparation from the results that they're getting. I know they got banged through no the other day, but on the whole, they behave like an established Premier mid-table Premier League team. They just seem to have that kind of aura about them. So I think you're just seeing some of the more resident teams of the Premier League, I think, that maybe aren't as aren't as equipped to either have had a good start at the beginning of this season or often rely on teams being worse than them, getting dragged into a mix or a fight they don't want to be involved in. It's a very good point, to be honest. Uh, we have our... Oh, yeah, John, sorry, go on. I was going to say, because most, most people thought Fulham would be going straight back down, but they've been putting results in. So I think like normally it's like two of the three that go up go down and then maybe another one that is always in the relegation fight will go down but it, I think it's still very interesting because between um, 10th and 20th there's only 9 points so if you can get a nice little run all of a sudden this picture is looking very different How mad is it that essentially all those games are now 6 pointers <laughs> <laughs> all the team in the bottom half of the league that's actually insane we have Maz fire for their lights bro we have Maz back Maz welcome back uh, question to you was yo Maz what are you saying <laughs> hey, how you doing guys alright good man your internet is back and up, up and running I was in a night with my phone today sorry dude but yeah thanks for thanks for coming back the question I had straight away for you was uh, Southampton new manager bounce and are they in a relegation fight give us your thoughts around you know firing their manager and what you think that's going to happen with the teams I guess in the second half of the table I think Southampton have been like one bad game away from second their manager for a long time now I think it was I think it's it's been coming I don't know what the thoughts of everyone else has been so far but I think it's just been a long time coming now and I yeah I'd say they're in relegation battle for sure I can't see I think along, alongside Nottingham Forest, um, I think those two teams are probably the ones for me looking the more likely to go down. I know it's only, what, 11, 10, 11 games in? Might be too soon for me to call it. 14 games in, by the way. 14? Oh, okay. Yeah. <laughs> so I, I don't know what the thoughts of everyone else has been. Yeah, so we kind of like echoed the same thing. But my question, again, uh, which I've asked Carl and John as well, who's been a sport uh just woken up in Australia and kind of joined in the conversation after your internet issues. But from your predictions or thoughts from the beginning of the season, Maz, um, what were your expectations with Southampton and have they changed as to what it is now, given that? The... Not really. I think for me, they've always been a candidate to be fighting relegation. I, I didn't think they would have gone down at the beginning of the season, but I think they've always been there or thereabouts, as in 17th, 16th was my initial prediction, but I'm not surprised in the relegation zone. I don't think they helped their manager by not backing him. Um, I don't I don't think they have good enough players to drag them out of that situation. I think, I think it's different with Leicester. I think we, we were surprised Leicester were there, but we always thought they had good enough players who were a bit sketchy on their back four and the goalkeeper. But we thought going like going forward, they would they could produce. I mean that's that's the conversation we had before, right? In the podcast. Exactly that. 
And you and you missed. I think Southampton never really. And you face. missed uh, Carlisle's apology to Brendan Rodgers. So I guess it goes back to you, as did Leicester basically do the right thing? Uh, yeah, I, yeah, I think so. But then I, I think I said it on podcast before. That I think Brendan Brent is, is 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 a good manager, and I was surprised Brighton didn't try and take him. Although I don't think Brighton made a bad choice with the manager they have at the moment. But um, I think with Brendan, I think he's proven, so you can see why they would back him. Although, I think it's just got to a stage now with Ralph at Southampton where everything was just becoming too obvious, the way they're going to play, and they've never really, they've not really progressed. Anymore. It's almost like the cycle just ended like every other manager. It's been four years or so. So it's just got to that point where, you know, it just stopped working. Um, yeah, but to be fair, we could say the same cycle ended with Leicester at Brent, with Brendan. Yeah, but... I guess, I guess they gave him more time because I, I don't know why they gave him more time to be honest, but I think it looks like it's the right move. Because I'm I'm looking at this table, yeah. So Nottingham Forest obviously stuck Steve Cooper. They're they're sticking with him. Uh, Wolves nineteenth, uh, new manager. Southampton looking for new manager eighteenth. Bournemouth are interim manager. Uh, Everton Frank Lampard, who I do not rate. David Moyes underperforming. Brendan Rodgers at fourteenth with Leicester. Unai Emery thirteenth. Jesse March as well is under pressure, but he's starting to pull out some results uh, in 12th position. And then you have the Brentford, the Crystal Palace and the Fulham. So they're all kind of in that same flux. So I don't know what's going to happen, especially with every other team in that sort of region of 13th to 20th having a new manager. Does that just like put the nail in the coffin for the ones like Steve Cooper, etc.? I think, I think... But to be fair, like come after World Cup things could flip because if you think about it most of these teams in the bottom half some of them I would say majority of the players won't be going to the World Cup I might be I might be wrong so if they have an extra two three weeks with their manager it's almost like a mini pre-season he could, he could spend some time with them um, the players sort, sort of tactics out yeah but so sometimes the players recruit players if they, if they need to and like these teams could be climbing the league before we know it. John John said the same thing. It could be interesting to see what teams essentially have who going to the World Cup, and that could be a massive factor. Um, Can I just quickly jump in here? Of course. Uh, Maz, um, you made me think of something, which is also, if Leicester had got rid of Rodgers, who would they have brought in? Because, okay, there's jobs in the Premier League, right? But for a lot of the managers that, we were thinking of like the two shells, the potches. Would they want to come to a club in that kind of battle? Probably not. I mean, we say this, so, and then your your boy Emery has come in to Villa, who are basically struggling. But I feel that's a really good fit, and he's got pedigree. I.e., he's won European titles. Obviously, not the champions. And they've got the owners got money. The owners got a lot of money, so he'll get backed. I'm sure whatever salary he's on. Pisses all over whatever he was on before. Um, but also, yeah, like you said, Villa. I think Leicester have that money. Yeah, Villa, Villa definitely is his kind of club. It's the underdog club. I guarantee now they're going to go on a good cup run. Whether it's League Cup or FA Cup, they'll go on a good cup run. Because cups are his thing. Oh, don't you know, I think they've got us on Wednesday. As well. League Cup. It's this week, I think it is this week, right? Yeah, yeah, we've got the back to back. Oh, the remix. I'm, I'm sure you... like, Emery just loves playing us. He seems to be us every time. 
every time he plays us. Yeah, he he is your bogeyman. <laughs> so I guess in that in that stead of talking about United, uh, I guess we've got two United fans, John Maz. Can I get John if you're still available? That'd be great. But obviously, I understand you're still getting awake in Australia. But what is your instant reaction to the draw, the the Europa League draw, which I think had to be Barcelona? What are your thoughts, John, on United Barca? Uh, on the round or the well, firstly I support Crystal Palace but I'm happy to speak <laughs> on many nights um, Israel uh, I was fuming to be honest I was just like literally what one goal made May United finish second and then you're playing Barcelona obviously it's probably not the Barcelona that I remember that is like dominant because they wouldn't be in the Europa League but it's just like it's a hard game you want to have like an easy it's like a boxing match you want to have like a two-knot fight to ease yourself into getting into the later rounds but you know who knows but eventually you have to play them in the semi-finals so just get it get it done you so this is I, I mean he's, he's disappeared again but Maz basically said that um, he actually fancied United to beat Barca because as United are starting to actually turn up in bigger games, Bar City. Do you kind of share that feeling again? Yeah, maybe the way better teams play suits Man United's style that we're trying to play. Because I think sometimes when the teams are playing very defensively, we struggle to break them down. So if it's more of a fluid game, we probably have more of a chance. But yeah, I haven't really been following Barcelona, but they must be doing terrible if they're in the Europe League. So yeah, uh, for me, it's just like you just have to beat what's in front of you. But obviously, of all the teams, it's more from a prestigious thing. You don't want to be playing Barcelona, but there's probably better teams in form that are more dangerous, that are just lesser, lesser prestige. Fair point. Uh, Carla, what's your prediction on, on that sort of tie? Uh, and I guess we can quickly check on the Champions League draw um, and, and get some thoughts on that before we jump to the quiz. Um, Barcelona are Barcelona, but they're not the Barcelona of old. I still like, obviously, allegedly, because this is a podcast, we don't want to get sued. The Bulls might be weighed down somehow or tampered with because the rest of the draws pretty much sucked apart from that one blockbuster draw um, in the nicest possible way this is two clubs fighting based off past credits plaudits because they're nowhere near the peak that they, they used to be um, I guess Europa League the same way for United is like their chance of maybe getting a trophy this season. Probably the same for Barcelona. I don't see them doing much in the league. To be honest, I think they're still a bit of a mess. PK obviously retired from the most random, random. mid-season retirement ever. Um, he's just retired. So, to be honest, this one is a coin flip, but also it, I think it'd be quite interesting to see um, Lewandowski versus Ronaldo and I think because of that, just in terms of finishing ability, I think Barcelona will go through. But stranger things have happened. 
And who the magic of the Europa League? <laughs> right, so we're gonna football's back, bro. <laughs> we're gonna run through the draw quickly. I want your predictions each, if you're ready. So I'm gonna go with the Europa League playoff draw first, uh, and uh, just keep your mics off mute, so we're ready to jump in straight. So um, Barca United, John, go first. Who's winning that? United. Okay, uh, CJ. Barcelona next Juventus Nantes John Juventus CJ yep that's one of the easiest draws ever for Juve so yeah without doubt third match is Sporting versus Michelin Sporting I even heard of that team yep Michelin sorry uh, Sweden that could be wrong Um, fourth team Shakhtar uh, versus Rennes Shakhtar but... Shakhtar all day bro backing Shakhtar oh, yeah my Shakhtar. man Nicholas Pepe shame um, Ajax Union Berlin Ajax yeah Ajax uh, Leverkusen Monaco mm. this one's harder I'd say Monaco maybe but I'm, I'm not 100% with that but I also don't really know what Bayern have been doing this season. Well, so I'm, I'm saying Monaco, but I'm not, yeah, I'm not that confident about that one. Any any prediction, John? I'm saying Leverkusen, but that's like a feeling rather than any data. That's fine. You can go with gut feelings on this one. The last two ties are Sevilla PSV. Who are you backing? Severe. Severe. This is, this is it's, it's a cup game, game bro. <laughs> it's a cup game. Come on. Uh, last one is Mourinho's Roma versus uh, Red Bull Salzburg. Oh, that's an interesting one. I think I'll go um, Roma. You're back in Jose, yeah? Special one. My head says Roma, but Salzburg, I feel, could just overrun Roma in midfield. And because of that, I think they have an outside chance. You're back in Salzburg. I'm going to be spicy and say it just to be different because it, it, Roma should win this, but Salzburg are trickier than I think a lot of people probably think. So, yeah, I think they might cause a problem or two. So, yeah, I'll go with Salzburg. All right. Well, we'll finish up the predictions on the round of 16. So, John, Mike off. So, we're going with the Champions League. Uh, uh, last, well, predictions, Leipzig City. Who are you backing? Yeah, Bruv, come on, see, always get them easy ties. Uh, AC Milan, Spurs. Spurs. Milan. But uh, decided there, one's back in the other. Uh, Internazionale Milan versus Porto. Uh, Inter. Nice. Inter. Uh, the big blocker buster tie, PSG by Munich. Who's Who's got who? I think PSG. This time. Carla? Yeah, no, I'd, I'd go with PSG. I feel like Bayern... This is going to be a really weird sentence. I don't think Bayern have been doing that much. And I've said this before, but we also need to have a conversation about Bayern and how they've essentially just ruined German football on a national level as well as domestically. But I, I don't think Bayern or anything to Definitely a pod- write home about this season. Um, yeah. Uh, the other blockbuster tie, Liverpool, Real Madrid. Bruv, it's Real Madrid. This is their like FA Cup when it comes. It's like Arsenal in the FA Cup. 
John, I'm guessing you're back in right. Madrid as well. No, you know what? I'm going to say Liverpool. Wow. I think they're gonna, there's, there's a revenge thing going to happen. Redemption arc, yeah. <laughs> Liverpool have it in them, but I just don't see Madrid losing. Um, the last three ties. So you have Club Bruges versus Benfica. And then, they are sick. And then, Bruges just turned up to get the money. Uh, Frankfurt versus Napoli. This is a big. I think Napoli are very dark horses in this competition. I think Napoli. I think Napoli can win. Uh, yeah, Napoli. Last one is Dortmund versus Chelsea. Dortmund. is going to come back to. Him. So. Uh, since you are the last participant here, John and Carlisle, Maz has been on and off. We are going to jump into the quiz if you're ready. Um, yeah, yeah, go for it. So we've got three types of questions, John, just to explain. Um, we've got true or false. We've got bang on the head, and then we've got multiple choice. True or false gives you one point. Bang on the sorry, multiple choice gives you two points, and bang on the head because it's a one-time shot answer. Uh, that will give you three points. So I have six questions here, two questions in each category, uh, and then you guys get to choose what to go for. Um, I'm going to spin a pen, uh, and then I'm going to choose, I guess maybe let's just do the the nicer way. John, since you're a new guest and Carl has had multiple choices at times, John, you can go first. So what question would you like, true or false, bang on the head, or multiple choice? Uh, Multiple choice. Okay, so multiple choice. Question one. Can you give me the capacity of the Southampton Stadium St. Mary's? Is it A, 43,000, B, 28,000, C, 31,000, or D, 32,000? I think it's B. No, sorry, is it 41,000? 43,000, A, uh, 28,000, 31,000, or 32,000? The, the 43,000 you sir are yeah. wrong I uh, am sorry for that uh, the correct answer was 32,000 D um, is what their capacity is so John round one zero points Carlisle what is your choice of question um, what's the on the bang on the head. Head. yeah that one please alright for two points CJ your first question is uh, here we go. Who was the Liverpool manager just before Brendan Rodgers? Ken Douglas. Answer correct. Two points to you. Uh, John, round two. What question would you like? True or false? Bang on the head. Or you've got one more multiple choice. Oh, actually, no, you've chosen your multiple choice. So it's either bang on the head or true or false. Okay, bang on the head. Right, your bang on the head question for two points to equal Carlisle is uh, who is on the theme of Southampton, the team captain for Southampton Football Club right now? Uh, Ward Prowse. Well done, sir. Two points. Great question. Great answer and question. You guys got, nailed the Southampton theme. Thank you very much. Um, round two. So, CJ, you have one multiple choice question or a true or false? Uh, I'll go for multiple choice. Okay. So, your multiple choice question for... Uh, two points is uh, 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 uh. actually, you know what? I've misscored John. John has got three points because he did a bang on the head. So, for two points, Carlisle, your choice of question well, your multiple choice question is 
Who out of these outfield Italian football players was the oldest in their final game before retiring? So your options are Costa Curta, Paolo Maldini, Francesco Totti, or Fabio Cannavaro. So I'll repeat again. Who was the oldest outfield Italian football player at the time of their retirement? Alessandro Costa Curta, Paolo Maldini, Francesco Totti, or Fabio Cannavaro? Maldini? Is that your final answer? Yeah, because I, I'm going to keep switching it, so yeah. Uh, that is wrong, sir. Sorry. Uh, the oldest out of those four, it doesn't mean that they hold the record, out of those four was Costa Curta, who was 41 years old. Dang. Paolo Maldini was the second at 40 years old. Third was Francesco Totti at 40 years old at eight months. And last was Cannavaro at 38 years. So going into the final round, we have John on three points and CJ on two points. John, you have a true or false question. Are you ready? I think CJ's on three points. He got the bang on one as well. Did he? Actually, yeah. Damn, I'm scoring wrong. Yeah. Sorry. CJ, I tried to hijack you there. So yeah. Level and points. Thank you very much for paying attention. Um, you have a true or false question, John. So, uh, mm-hmm. right. I'm going to give you this one. Shakhtar Donetsk have played or have had to play in four different home grounds since 2010. Is that true or is that false? No, I would go true. That is correct, John. They have had to move stadiums three to four times over the last 12 years. So we are at four points with John. CJ, this is your chance to tie the quiz or John takes the win. Your true or false question is, David Alaba is the only Austrian player to have won the Champions League. True or false? David Alaba is the only Austrian player to have won the Champions League. True or false? I'm going to go false. Final answer? Yeah. That is correct. So we have a tie. Wow. Um, I can give you a tiebreaker if you want, or you guys want to just admit to drawing and taking the share or sharing the spoils. What do you guys want to do? I'll let Mr. Wick have the final say. Is this a squeeze? Yeah, let's just share it, man. <laughs> All right, well done, guys. Uh, so both of you ended up on four points. And yeah, big big thanks to John for jumping in when we needed it most. Uh, and you are quiz master together with CJ. I think, CJ, that's your first time you've actually uh, tied it first on a quiz. So well done. Yeah, I'm annoying Maz's cheeky comment at the bottom. <laughs> <laughs> nice one, Maz. Uh, but yeah, hopefully next time we can actually have a, a better conversation and uh, we welcome back. John Wick to the UK borders next week. So, Maz, thank you for your five minutes of contribution. But uh, until next time, thank you very much and catch you later. Vigo's having to operate even more attackingly now. He really hits that one. Oh, that is just sensational from Luis Vigo.